Hello, and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth and personal discussion of films. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. On today's episode, I'm talking about the 1988 Vim Vendors film, Wings of Desire. It's about an angel named Damiel who falls in love with a trapeze artist and is willing to give up eternity and become human in order to be with her. I think this is such a powerful and poetic and romantic film about love, connection, and what it means to be human. It's a life-affirming film that always reminds me of the beauty of being alive. I think it's the kind of film that really raises your spirits. I hope you enjoy my discussion of this stunning film. There are spoilers in this episode, so just be aware of that. If you'd like to support the work I'm doing, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You can access extra episodes, vote in polls, and much more. Go to patreon.com slash herheadinfilms for more information. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash herheadinfilms. You can also review the podcast on iTunes. Please give me five stars. Tell your friends and followers about her head in films or you could follow me on social media and interact with me on there in a positive way. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter. There are links to all my social media accounts in the show notes of each episode. So I won't go on any longer. Here's my episode all about Wings of Desire. first saw Wings of Desire in 2013 and I didn't really become like a hardcore cinephile until 2011 so Wings of Desire came kind of early for me in my journey as a cinephile as I like to call it. I think this is one of those films where if you get it and you connect to it and you relate to it I think it's very powerful the first time you watch it and I know it was for me personally. You know I was very kind of a new to films like this to art house cinema to European cinema and I don't know if I had come across up to that point such a poetic film. The words in the film are really written by Peter Handke. There was no script really. When Peter Falk signed on to do the film there wasn't really a script in place and he was open to that and he was okay with that. He said something like he was kind of used to it because he worked with Cassavetes. I have two episodes on John Cassavetes films, A Woman Under the Influence and Opening Night if you're interested and I am a fan of Peter Peter Falk for sure and he's wonderful in this film. I want to say I grew up watching Columbo. I loved Columbo when I was a kid. I don't watch it now. I don't watch a lot of TV in general to be honest unless it's like a true crime show but I was mad about Columbo and Peter Falk and until I saw this film (laughs) and the Cassavetes films I really did not know that John I really did not know that Peter Falk was like like a big deal actor like I just thought he was Columbo. I just thought he was um this detective, <laughs> you know, on TV. I didn't know he had been in like really serious, important art house cinema, you know, like A Woman Under the Influence and, you know, several Cassavetes films and Wings of Desire. So when I saw him in this way, 
as not Columbo, as just himself and as a different character, I was taken aback by it because I only knew him as Columbo. So I think this film, if you if you connect to it and if it resonates with you, it's sort of electric. It's like there's a charge about this film. I think when you watch it the first time because of the poetry of the dialogue by Peter Handke and he would just write stuff and he would send it to Vim vendors and that's how the movie was kind of created. There wasn't really a script put in place which I thought was fascinating. So I will never forget watching this film for the first time. It was really profound to me. I was in my early 20s. I was incredibly moved by the film and then I revisited it and rewatched it in 2020 during the pandemic. I think in October of 2020, I went back to this film. I wanted something life-affirming. I wanted something beautiful in the midst of death and loss and fear and anxiety. I wanted to go back to this film. I just got drawn to it again and I found it really comforting when I rewatched it. And then once I did rewatch it, I knew I had to do an episode. And so now I've watched it again for 2021 to do this episode. So I've seen it three times times now and I don't think it loses any of its poetry, any of its beauty. I mean, I think if anything with each watching with each viewing, you gain different things or the beauty of it just continues to move you and overwhelm you. I have not seen a lot of Vim Vendor's films. This is definitely my favorite of his that I have seen. I'll probably watch more of his work at some point. I've seen Paris, Texas, and I've seen this one, and that might be the only two that I've actually seen by him. And to me, this is just an achievement. Like, I think this is like a masterpiece. I love it deeply. I mean, I'll be honest. I just, I'm very biased. (laughs) I adore the film. I loved it the first time I saw it and I love it still. And it really is the kind of film that makes you grateful to be alive. After you watch it, it's kind of like after I read Virginia Woolf or something, like after I read Mrs. Dalloway or The Waves or any of her work, because of the way she writes about life and how vivid she makes it. Or after I read Mary Oliver, and I'm actually going to read a Mary Oliver poem in a little bit that I felt like kind of connected to the film. Yeah, when I read Mary Oliver or Virginia Woolf, it's like everything's more vivid. Life is almost in technicolor and you see things differently. You notice the smallest things. And I think a great film can be like that. I would say Terrence Malick's films make me feel that way. After I watched The Tree of Life that I did an episode, about. Like I noticed the rain and the trees and the grass and all this stuff. I was able to see like the profound beauty of the ordinary and of everyday life. This is that kind of film. Honestly, if you have a friend or somebody in your life who's struggling and who is looking for a film that is beautiful and profound, but also uplifting, I would recommend this film. I would absolutely recommend this film to somebody who won't something that reminds them of like the beauty of life and to keep going and it's so deeply life-affirming. It's hard to even put into words the way I feel as I watch it. I just always feel so moved. Like I'm just always emotional about the film. That's what I'll be talking about throughout this episode. So just the basics. It's directed by Vim Vendors. It came out in 1988 before the fall of the Berlin Wall and it's set in Berlin. It stars Bruno Ganz as Damiel 
Solvig Martin as Marion, Otto Sander as Cassiel, and Peter Falk really as himself. And Damiel and Cassiel are the two angels in the film. And then Martin is Marion, the trapeze artist. And then we have Peter Falk, who used to be an angel, and he became human. And he's kind of a mentor a little bit to Damiel and kind of <laughs> encourages him to become human and pushes him in that direction. So I'm just going to go through the film chronologically. I'm going to talk about scenes and things that it made me feel, things that it made me think about, and I'll just touch on the most moving parts of it for me, and I hope that you'll like this episode. I felt like the time had come to talk about this film, particularly watching it during the pandemic. It's hard to believe that this pandemic has been going on for over a year. It hasn't been easy for me. I mean, I'm not going to go into everything that I've been feeling, but I definitely feel worn down. And just the other day I wrote in my diary that I feel like some kind of, I don't know, I feel like some hole's been like torn in me, like some tear inside of my soul and that something vital has leaked out that I've lost something. I feel exhausted and worn down and disillusioned and I'm not proud of that, that I feel like there's less of me. But every time I go through something difficult or tragic or whatever, I always feel like I do lose a piece of myself, that there is less of me after something like that happens, whether it was losing my father or just different things that I've been through. And this pandemic is a big one for me where something's been chipped away. And I'm trying to hold on to the tender, soft, vulnerable parts of myself. It's really important for me to do that. I don't want to become jaded or cynical or anything like that or detached. I want to always be emotionally honest and open and I'm somebody who feels really deeply. I was listening to Carly Rae Jepsen the other day. I was listening to her album Dedicated, which is really good. I prefer emotion but dedicated is good too. And she has like a song on there called Too Much. It's my anthem. (laughs) It's about how she feels too much and thinks too much and loves too much. And that's me. All of that. I feel too much. But at the same time, I would prefer that. I would prefer to feel too much than to feel nothing at all. But it's hard to feel a lot in this world. Like this world is not always kind to people like me who are vulnerable and who feel a lot and this pandemic has taken a lot from me but I'm trying to hold on to what's left and I encourage you to do the same if you're listening and you're struggling don't let life take everything from you you know try to hold on to those soft parts and that tenderness and that kindness and that goodness don't let people treating you badly or the world disappointing you don't let it take your goodness from you and your tenderness, and your feelings, you know, for other people and for life. And I think a film like this can remind us to keep, keep loving, keep connecting, keep reaching out, and don't let somebody else hurting you, or letting you down, or disappointing you, don't let that stop you from continuing to try to connect, and love, and reach out, and give of yourself. Yes, protect yourself, but also be open, you know, don't close yourself off to life. That's the thing about Damiel, in this film is that he's so open to life. He's so open to experience and sensation and to the world and he's able to see the world anew. And I think through seeing the world, we see the world through him and it allows us to see the world in a new way and to almost rediscover life or rediscover the world through him. Find what beauty you can 
That's also what I would say to anybody listening right now. I've had really dark days and I can, I will continue to have dark days, whether the pandemic's going on or not. You know, I've had dark moments in my life and dark periods and things I struggle with and it's not easy to get up every day. But I have tried so hard through everything to find these little pockets of beauty throughout my day, whether it's a dandelion in the yard, or it's a poem, or it's a conversation with a friend online, or it's a painting, or a a work of art, or a song, or find those little moments of beauty in those pockets of beauty. Don't forget them. Try to keep finding that beauty in life. I know it's not easy. It's, It's a choice that we make. I don't subscribe to positive thinking. You know, I don't think everything's great, but I have to survive. And in order for me to survive, I have to have hope, and I have to see some beauty You know, I have to see like reasons to be alive and reasons to enjoy life and to connect to things. And so I continue to try to find beauty, to focus on that as much as I can. But it doesn't mean that I don't hurt and it doesn't mean that I don't fall apart (laughs) and feel that darkness very deeply inside myself. But I am grateful for a film like Wings of Desire because it's a reminder of the beauty. It's a reminder of what is out there in the world and that there's still so much for you to discover and to feel and to find. There's still love and there's still beauty and there's still connection and the film reminds us of that I think through these characters. So um, the film opens up with Damiel writing and he says quote, when the child was a child it didn't know it was a child. Everything was full of life and all life was one unquote. And it re- that reminded me of something that I was thinking about recently sort of about the fact that I feel like the best days or my best days are really behind me and what gives me a really deep sorrow is that I was too young at the time to appreciate those days because I was a child and I didn't know what I had and I didn't know what the world was and I didn't know what was coming. When you're a child you like he wrote you don't know you're a child. You don't know what you have. I think it's interesting how children are in this film. I mean there's not a huge amount of children but they're there and there's references to children and children are able to see the angels and I do think it's kind of like telling us you know children are more open to the world they they don't have that armor on they don't have like that hardened heart (laughs) that I think a lot of us get as we get older they're more open they they just haven't been like worn down by life as much and there's they still have their imagination and and all of that so they're able to see the angels it's almost like they feel the angels you know and I have to say I like that the angels don't look stereotypically like angels (laughs) they have just like coats on and simple clothing and you know they don't have like the big wings and stuff like that. I thought that was an interesting choice that Vim Vendors made and also the fact to show them in black and white and I think that's a fascinating metaphor and I'll talk more about that when Damiel becomes human and it turns to color. I just think it's a fascinating technique to talk about the different worlds of the angels and the humans and that the humans are in color. The humans are the ones with the range of experience and sensation and all of that whereas the angels are more limited like yeah they've been around for like however many years and they've seen history unfold and they've been around for eternity but they're also limited 
because they're not alive and they don't know what it's like to be human and to be alive. Their world is in black and white and it's more simple and austere while the world of humanity is bright and vivid and colorful. I just think it's an interesting, you know, technique to make us think about the fullness of being human, the fullness of being alive. And honestly, one of my favorite things about the film personally is hearing people's thoughts, the interior monologues. I absolutely love that. I love hearing other people's inner thoughts. I love that. I'm a bit of a voyeur. That's partly why I watch film. That's why I'm on social media too much too. Like I kind of live through other people. I'm a really passive person in that way. I am a bit voyeuristic. I am kind of nosy. You know, I like to get to know people. I like to know people's thoughts and feelings. I usually ask too many questions and stuff like that. But I love the idea of hearing people's inner voices and all these inner monologues throughout the film. And I think Vim Vendors mentioned that in an interview or something he wrote that, you know, through doing that, he was able to talk about things that people don't normally talk about. He can say things and, and share things that most people just keep inside, that they don't vocalize, that they don't say to anybody else. It's just these things that are in our heads. I just love that idea. Like, I just love imagining what other people are thinking. You know, when I was watching the film, I would think of it during the day when I had my own inner monologues and like the thoughts were going through my head. I'd think about the characters in the film and things that they said. And I would catch myself as I was like in an inner monologue myself. Oh, I'm thinking all these thoughts and they're inside me and I loved the way the film captured that. So I just wanted to mention that aspect of it because I think it's really poetic and it allows you to have like a sense of who people are you know, who they are inside, the thoughts and the feelings that they hide and that they keep to themselves. And it reminds us that we all, we're all very separate from each other and disconnected in a lot of ways. But we have these very rich, inner lives and inner worlds that we don't always get to express. I mean, I feel like I express my inner world through the podcast and through these episodes. I'm sharing my thoughts and feelings and this is the stuff swirling and churning <laughs> in my own mind, you know, and the associations and the connections that I find in films and what they conjure for me and how they haunt me. And I also write, like I write in my diary a lot. So I have ways where I express that inner world and it's very vital and essential to me that I express my inner world. Like I have to, I have to communicate that. I can't explain it, but I feel like through expressing myself and expressing my inner life, that allows me to connect to other people. I think that that's what can bind us and connect us is when we share our inner life with each other through art. And art, some artists might share it through their painting. I mean, think about Jackson Pollock, what he was putting on the canvas. That's kind of what abstract expressionism was or like Helen Frankenthaler or Mark Rothko. I'm like really into the abstract expressionists these days. A big thing about that movement was that the artists were expressing their inner world, their inner feelings through the paint, putting that on the canvas. And that's what's so powerful about some of that art, particularly Helen Frankenthaler and Pollock and Rothko for me, is that feeling that you're getting the sense of an inner world of another human being and you're seeing the world the way that they see it. But you also 
get that through poetry and writing and films. When it comes to particular directors, you're getting their perspective on the world and some of their inner questions and their inner struggles. And I mean, think about Ingmar Bergman or Andre Tarkovsky. Or when you watch the films of these directors, particularly something like Mirror by Tarkovsky, I would love to do an episode about that film. I don't know if I'll ever tackle it. You get the sense that you're seeing the expression of an inner world. You're seeing like the soul of a director put on film. I get that sense with Bergman in particular, you know, or somebody like Kishlovsky, Christoph Kishlovsky, my favorite director. There's an inner world, an inner essence that's being expressed through some of these films that they have written and, and things like that. So I love that. <laughs> I love getting a sense of people's inner lives. And I think that's what creates connection with other people is when we can share that. Something that fascinated me about the angels was that I think they um, make us consider the idea of eternity. And would we want to live forever? Like I actually think about this sometimes because this is who I am. And these are the things I think about. I think about would I want to be human and have a finite lifespan? I mean, I am. I don't get to opt out of that. <laughs> but sometimes in my mind, I imagine, or would would I want to live forever? Would I want to be around for millions of years? Would that be boring? <laughs> you know, but to me, actually, it would be fascinating, I think, because then you would get to see all kinds of um, things. You get to see evolution and like past civilizations and all the different things that are going to happen in the future and what people are going to be like. And I think I would kind of want eternity. I'm, I'm kind of greedy. Like I want eternity. I want all, all the time. And it is scary to me how our lives are finite. I'm in conflict about it because I know that the fact that life ends is what gives everything importance and it's what it's what makes everything precious because it doesn't last. And I get that, but I wish it would last. I wish our lives did last. I think it's interesting that Damiel gives up eternity. You know, he gives up eternal life. I mean, he's not really alive, but he gives that up in the film. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in angels. I don't believe in heaven and hell and it, all that stuff. I'm just talking about the film and the world it creates. He is willing to give that up because if you think about it, the life that he, the life is an angel that he's lived. He's just been with Cassiel. Like he doesn't get to know love. He doesn't get to know connection. He doesn't get to eat. He doesn't get to like enjoy the different experiences of being alive, going swimming, having a family, falling in love, experiencing art, having sex. He doesn't get to have all these experiences that can be really beautiful and pleasurable and, and powerful. It's just the same day for him over and over again in a lot of ways. And so when he sees Marion, the trapeze artist, she stirs something in him. And I'll talk about that later when he does see her. Every time I watch a film, and I don't know if I've mentioned this in other episodes, I probably have. Every time I watch a film for the podcast, I always try to think about a door into the film. And like, what is the theme or what is the part of the film that resonates the most with me? And I think with Wings of Desire, a big one for me, there might be multiple doors. I mean, I think the love story is really powerful and beautiful, but the main door for me is 
Damiel and how he's really an outsider who wants to be part of the world and he wants to be part of humanity and he wants to be seen. To me, that's the most profound thing about him. He wants to be seen and he wants to be loved. So much of his life is being around people but not being noticed or acknowledged by them. They don't see him, they don't talk to him, they don't interact with him. He's always an observer, like a voyeur in a lot of ways. And so I do see him as an outsider. I see him as a representative for people like me. This is a big part of my life and my experience. I feel very invisible in the world. He's a representative for people like me who are always on the outside looking in. We are watching life but never participating in it. And we never feel like we truly fully belong. And so I think his desire to be human is a desire to be seen and loved and known. To be part of something. To feel alive and to interact with other people rather than being above it all and separate from it. The angels are really like a contrast to humanity. They can't eat, they're in black and white, they don't have these sensuous experiences. What they lack is a reminder of what we have as human beings. So what the angels don't have is what we do have. And that's why I think the film is life affirming. And it's a reminder of, oh, we get to have all that. We don't live in black and white. We have love and connection and all the things that are part of living. We've got poetry. We've got films, right? We've got books and music and dance and theater and all kinds of stuff. All the things that make up our lives. And Damiel talks about that. He says, quote, sometimes I get fed up with this spiritual existence. I don't want to always hover above. I'd rather feel a weight within Casting off this boundless freedom and tying me to the earth. At every step, every gust of wind, I'd like to be able to say now and now and now. No longer forever and for eternity. To take the empty seat at a card game and be greeted by the others, even if just with a nod, unquote. I think that's fascinating. The way he's talking about time. We as humans, we only have the present moment. But he as an angel has eternity. But what good is eternity when you're alone? Or when you can't have love and connection and beauty and and experience anything. You know, if you're always on the outside and you're always just watching things and you have no control and you have no effect, what good is all that time? Like, who are you sharing it with? What can you do with it? He wants to be human and live in the now. He wants to be fully alive and able to engage with other people and connect with them. So that's the big thing for me with this film and Damiel is that it's about a person going from the outside to the inside. It's about someone separate from the world who is entering the world and wants to become part of the world. That speaks to me as someone who always has felt like I don't belong and I'm an outsider and all I've ever wanted is to be seen and loved and appreciated and to feel like I belong and to feel like I'm cared about and part of something. That I'm part of life, that I'm part of the world. So that's the big one for me with this film is that Damiel goes on that journey and he has to make that choice. He has to choose to be part of the world and take on the pain but also take on the beauty and the pleasure that comes with it too. And he takes a risk. He takes a chance becoming human. But to him, it's worth it to go within and to become part of the world instead of separate from the world. And so that's very powerful to me. 
personally. I think maybe he's also just tired of his own powerlessness. He can't do anything. He can't talk to anybody. He can't affect other people's lives in any way. He's just completely separate from everything. There's this one scene on the subway that really made an impact on me when I rewatched the film because I would say during the pandemic in particular, but even before then, I had come to a place where I really wanted to try to work on myself and I wanted to sort of heal in some way. I wanted to deal with some of my past trauma and my grief and I wanted to get to a better place with some things and work through some things. But at times I feel like I'm making progress with that and then other times I feel like I'm falling apart and I'm failing and it just depends on the day. Like this year is hard not just for the pandemic but I'm recording this episode. It's around the time of the anniversary of my father's death. And that's really difficult for me. And he died in 2006. And it's 15 years now that he's been dead. And it's hard for me to say that. It's hard for me to accept that. And I've been in a lot of torment about his death for half my life now. You know, I'm going to turn 32 this year. And it's crazy that I've been doing this podcast since I was about 28. (laughs) I've been doing this podcast for four years now. Bless any of you who have listened to all the episodes. (laughs) I don't know how I've changed or evolved. I hope I've evolved a little bit. But I realize that I'm just in so much pain and torment about losing him when I was a teenager. I was only like 16 years old. And I've lived half my life without my father now. And that's unimaginable to me. He's still very, very alive to me. He is still very present for me. My memories of him are very vivid. I often feel like I have one foot in the past and one foot in the present that I'm sort of straddling both of those worlds or I'm inhabiting both of those worlds at any time. It's just hard for me to accept what's happened and it's caused me a lot of suffering. I do want to get to a better place with it. I do. I have a episode about a film called The Vanish that I watched in 2020, late in 2020. That was a big film for me. It was a big revelation to me because I feel like that film for me personally is about the danger of getting wrapped up in your pain and your suffering and the way that that can destroy you if you can't move past certain traumas or certain losses. And I do feel like for a long time I've just been frozen in place and frozen in my grief and I want to try to move forward. Doesn't mean letting it go or forgetting it because it's part of me but I would like to get to a better place with it. But I'm not always succeeding at that. You know, I'm not always succeeding at life in general. I feel like I'm failing most days <laughs> at this point. And so when I watched this this particular scene, it really moved me where he's on the subway and there's this man that Damiel is sitting beside who's really down about his life. And it's interesting that later on in the film, when Damiel becomes human, he encounters this man again and the man gives him some money and is really nice to him. So Damiel's sitting next to him and he touches him. And as soon as Damiel touches him, it's like his outlook begins to change this man. And he says, quote, I just have to want it. Then I can get back on my feet. I let myself go. I can pull myself up again, unquote. And I just love that. I let myself go. I can pull myself up again. That speaks to me because it gives me hope that, you know what, even though I'm having a bad day or a bad week or a bad freaking month, to be honest with you, I can still pull myself back up out of it. I don't have to fall apart completely or fall off the horse completely. I can still do better. 
I can still make better decisions. I can still get it together, <laughs> okay? And that's what that scene made me feel is like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can keep trying to heal. I can keep trying to not define myself by my suffering. I don't have to get so wrapped up in that pain that it's all that I can see. There's more to me than that wound. I am more than that wound. But sometimes I just get lost and it's like all I can see is the pain. All I can see is what's missing in my life instead of what I still have and what's left. I was listening to just this amazing song by Wise Blood, and it's from her album called The Innocence. And it's not like that, it's not that famous of a song. Like her biggest album has been Titanic Rising, which is amazing. There's a song on that album called Movies that makes me feel things I can't put into language. I will never be able to put it into language. So the other night I was listening to The Innocence. I haven't gone through all of her albums yet, but I've loved Titanic Rising ever since it came out in 2019. So I decided one night I was going to listen to some of her other music and I came across this song called Bad Magic. There are just some amazing lyrics. I listened to this song and just wept. I absolutely wept. And um, it's really about surviving, going on, and finding a way forward in your life. Like there's the one verse that just kills me and so I'm gonna read it. And I swear to you, I just cried and cried listening to this song. I couldn't deal with it. It moved me so deeply. It spoke to me. And so I think it's an amazing song. She sings, make the best of death and love what's left. You're not just a time bomb just cause you went off. Don't mean you're scattered everywhere. It's still there in the palm of your hands. Just give it one more chance. Don't wait to understand. Just find a new way. I love that. Find a new way. That spoke to me. That's about finding a way forward through your pain. And it's about rebuilding and remembering that you're still there. You haven't lost everything and you can still go on. You can still keep living no matter what has happened. Even if you have failed, even if you let yourself go, even if you feel like you don't have anything left, find a new way. I just love that idea you know, of finding a way forward, finding a way to live. And I do think that art can be part of that, that a film like this and watching it can be very powerful in helping us find a way to keep living and to find things to live for. I do believe that. I believe that art can be life-saving. I do think a song can save your life. Yeah. <laughs> Tori Amos <laughs> has saved my life many times. I think our connections with other people can save our lives. That has been the case for me through this pandemic. I've had some really lovely people in my life that I've had conversations with and reached out to who have been there for me and I've been there for them. And that has saved me. Art has saved me. Love has saved me. I wouldn't be here without my mom. You know, after my dad died, like my mom and her love, that's why I'm alive. So yeah, I take this stuff really seriously. Art is serious to me. Love is serious to me. Movies are serious to me and what I feel about them and how they affect me. So yeah. And so this scene spoke to me and that Wise Blood song spoke to me because that's what he's talking about is finding a new way. That's what he's talking about is rebuilding himself, pulling himself up again, even though things seem hopeless, even though he let himself go. And that spoke to me at the in 2020 when I watched the film and it speaks to me now as well when I get in really dark moments 
and very difficult days. I need that message. I need it. So Damiel finally meets Marion and she's our trapeze artist. She has like fake wings. It's very interesting the contrast where he's a real angel who has wings. You don't see them but throughout the film you'll see wings sort of like appear on the screen and she's wearing wings as a trapeze artist um, or trapeze. I don't know why I'm saying trapeze. (laughs) Overlook me trapeze. It's not a word I say a lot. And she's rehearsing her performance. And Doe Martin, I think she learned to do that stuff in about eight weeks. She did it without a net. It's beautiful. The work that she does performing in the film, that's her. You know, she didn't have a body double or anything like that. And she learned it very quickly. She's so beautiful in this film and elegant and just breathtakingly gorgeous, right? Like you definitely understand <laughs> why Damiel fell in love with her. She's very beautiful and otherworldly the way that she can do all of that trapeze stuff right he watches her and he's sort of enraptured by her I think and so she's part of the circus and their last performance is coming up and then they're gonna leave they're gonna leave Berlin I think Marion has some of the best dialogue or I guess it's really monologues in the film and her inner thoughts are so poetic and rich and beautiful she has one scene where she says quote time heals all but what if time itself is the disease unquote that's always one that's stayed with me. And there's one scene where she's like sitting outside in her robe and she's just kind of staring into space. And she's this woman who feels very deeply. She's a woman who isn't afraid to be on her own. She wants love, but she isn't desperate for it. She can be alone. She doesn't necessarily need a man or anything like that. I think for her, love is about, love is like spiritual I think. And I do think with this film, this is love that's like spiritual. This is the idea that love expands us, that love makes us grow and evolve and become our better selves. This is not about love as like, oh, I want this fantasy or I want this dream or I want somebody to save me. I mean, they do save each other. I think they save each other. And I do think love can save us. Yeah, I do. But this is more about love as like a spiritual spiritual experience. And I don't know if we always think about it in that way. I kind of do, to be honest. I mean, I kind of have this desire for a love that is like this in the film that's sort of like soulmate love or spiritual love or, you know, you meet somebody and you feel like you've just known them forever and that you were like born to love this person. I'm not saying this love even exists, but it's beautiful to think about. And so for them, love is spiritual. And it's also life-saving. I mean, he, she's the reason he wants to be human. It's this very epic type of love that probably few people ever get to experience, you know? And Marion says, quote, I waited an eternity for someone to say a loving word to me, unquote. She is looking for love. You know, she wants to be loved, but I don't think she's desperate for it. And she's not going to settle. That's the sense I get about her. Like, she is not going to settle for anything less than, like, soul-transforming love. (laughs) You know, breathtaking, transformative love, spiritual love. I think she wants that, and I don't think she's going to settle for anything less than what she deserves and what she desires. And I think that's a beautiful thing about her is that she just seems like a woman. She's the kind of woman I I'd like to be a woman who is like comfortable in her skin and knows what she wants 
if a man comes along and he's going to give her what she wants, great. If he's not, bye. You know, she's not desperate. She can be alone. She's going to wait until she finds the right person. And it's what she desires. That's the sense I get about her. She's independent and strong in that way, I think. She's not desperate. Maybe I have a bit of desperation about me <laughs> that I'm not comfortable with for sure. She wants love, but she can also be alone. Like at one point she says, quote, as a child, I wanted to live on an island, a woman alone, glory seriously alone unquote so she's fine she's fine not being in a relationship but if she is gonna be in one then I think she wants it to be deep and substantial and meaningful and serious serious she says that at the end of the film when she means when she meets Damiel now it's getting serious I think that's like a quote that's what she wants something spiritual and serious. And I really love that scene where she goes into her trailer. She puts on the Nick Cave record. I'll talk about Nick Cave later. <laughs> I have a lot to say about Nick Cave. And Daniel is watching her and I think that's when he starts to fall in love with her. And I think, yeah, he's in love with her looks. I mean, let's be honest about men. That tends to be what they focus on and women focus on it too. I mean, there are plenty of women who want to be with a particular guy and fall in love with a guy because of the way he looks. I'm not saying it's exclusive to men, but it's a big part of it. So she's beautiful and that doesn't hurt. But I do think that he falls in love with her, not just for her amazing beauty, but for her mind and her thoughts and the poetry of her thoughts and he seems to connect to her and the things that she shares and the things that she thinks and says that seems to be part of him falling in love with her as well not just her physical beauty although that's what attracts him to her of course I'm not denying that at all but she also has this very deep and rich inner life you know she just asks questions throughout the scene like she's lying on her bed at times or at times she's undressing you know and stuff like that and you know she says things like how should I live and longing longing for a wave of love to swell up in me and she says a desire to love it's like these very beautiful sort of fragmented thoughts you know about love and how she wants to be loved and she wants she wants that experience so I think that's a really beautiful scene and this is a woman who's very serious about love and that's the sense that you get about her and from that scene it goes to another one where there's this crash that's on the street this is a really moving scene to me like really moving if any of you listening if you've ever like been on the road and passed by an accident where you knew somebody had died I think this scene is very powerful thinking about the last moments of a person and what would you think about we don't know we'll never know what a dying person thinks about so this scene in particular is very poetic in imagining that this man who's dying from an accident you know he's dying on the street that his final thoughts would just be these sort of fragments of like all the things really that he's gonna lose because he's dying. This scene is another reason why I think the film is life-affirming because as he is listing out all these things that he's gonna miss and that he's not gonna have anymore because he's gonna be dead, it reminds us, the living, those of us who are watching the film, that we still have those things. And it reminds us of the beauty of those things and to cherish those things. He says, I should have told her yesterday I was sorry. So he's thinking about how he wished he had said sorry to someone he loved. And 
Gamiel comes to the crash site and he puts his hands on the man's head. It's this powerful moment of like trying to comfort. I think that's what's really beautiful about Damiel and Cassiel. They can't change anything. They can't stop someone from jumping off a roof. They can't stop someone from dying. They can't stop someone from feeling like a failure, feeling like their life is just useless and worthless. But what they do try to do is comfort. They try to touch the people. And when they touch them, sometimes it affects the person that they touch and it calms them or it comforts them. And I do think that I myself, that's what I try to do when it comes to people I care about and stuff. What I try to do is to offer comfort and solace and consolation. And I feel like we don't care enough about each other in this world, particularly in this country where I live, the United States. And I think the pandemic exposed that. I mean, I already knew it. I already knew we don't really care about each other in this country, but the pandemic made it undeniable maybe for other people who didn't know. There is sort of like a epidemic of not caring about one another. And it can come out in the smallest interactions with other people. I think when you can't care or you don't care anymore, I think that's really sad. And I pity people who can't care about other people and can't be there and can't offer comfort and can't try to be kind. Like I pity those people and I've unfortunately encountered them and had them in my life. You know that when I needed care, when I needed concern, when I needed connection or somebody to be there for me, they couldn't be because they don't have the capacity and some people are just not capable of it. There's a process that you have to go through I think to forgive those people and to have compassion for them that they just don't care or they don't care about you. Maybe they care about other people, but they don't care about you. And so what I love about the angels is that they care and they try to comfort. That's all we can do in the world is to try to care about one another and comfort one another if we're able to. You know, even in some small way, I hope that these episodes reach people when they need them, when they need a voice or they need a comfort. I mean, I don't know. I've gotten messages from people who say that it is a comforting podcast that they do feel that when they listen to some of the episodes and that gives me solace and that gives me comfort to know that that my voice reaches people all around the world and in whatever place they may be in their lives I I believe in solidarity I believe in connection I believe in caring about other people and I'll always be that way I hope and so that's something powerful about the angels is that they care and they try And so Damiel puts his hands on this man's head and the man is just listing out things and saying things. Quote, the morning light, the eyes of a child, swimming by the waterfall, the spots from the first drops of rain, the sun, bread and wine, hopscotch, Easter Sunday, veins of leaves, the billowing grass, the colors of stones, the pebbles in the stream bed, the white tablecloth outdoors, the dream about the house inside the house, the person asleep in the next room, the peace and quiet of Sunday, the horizon, the light from the room in the garden, my father, my mother, my wife, my child, unquote. These are the things that he's going to miss. These are the things that he's losing as he leaves the world. And it occurred to me watching it that really Damiel doesn't understand the meaning of these things because he doesn't understand death and he's not really alive. And because he's not alive, he doesn't understand death. He doesn't understand the idea that your time is finite and your time will end. It's only death that makes us feel the urgency of life, the value of life, because 
because we lose it and we lose the people we love. We lose it all. Damiel doesn't feel the rain. He doesn't have a mother and father. His world is black and white. He doesn't know all the beautiful things of life. He hasn't felt them or tasted them or touched them. We as human beings do get to experience these things. And so the film reminds us of just how precious they are. And when I was watching this scene, I thought of a Mary Oliver poem and I thought of a line that she has that she has in this poem and I want to read the full poem but this line in particular this is why I think the film is life affirming and I think it can reach us at certain parts of our lives when we might be struggling to remember the value of life and the beauty of life because it can be hard. All of us just went through a global pandemic and as I record this we're still going through it and other parts of the world are going through it even worse. People are still being buried. People are still dying. We are in some dark times and sometimes we do need those reminders to keep going, to hold on. So in this poem, it's called Spring. And as I record this episode, it's spring. She says, quote, there is only one question, how to love this world, unquote. And that is the question, isn't it? How do we love this world? This world of pain and suffering and genocide and violence and trauma, where our lives seem disposable and expendable, where everything seems meaningless and senseless, where we can't make sense out of anything. <laughs> and we don't know what is going on most of the time. How do we love this world? So I want to read the poem. It's called Spring by Mary Oliver. Somewhere a black bear has just risen from sleep and is staring down the mountain. All night in the brisk and shallow restlessness of early spring, I think of her. Her four black fists flicking the gravel, her tongue like a red fire touching the grass the cold water. There is only one question, how to love this world. I think of her rising like a black and leafy ledge to sharpen her claws against the silence of the trees. Whatever else my life is, with its poems and its music and its glass cities, it is also this dazzling darkness coming down the mountain, breathing and tasting. All day I think of her, her white teeth, her wordlessness, her perfect love. That's the poem how to love this world. And I think we each as individuals have to figure that out. How will we love the world? How will we love what we are given? How will we love after we've lost so much? How will we love what's left? How will we do that? You have to figure it out for yourself. Nobody else can tell you. So that scene is really powerful to me. When he's talking about the waterfall and the raindrops and all of that, the veins of the leaves, it totally reminds you of some of the beautiful things outside your door, things that you might see on a daily basis in your life and to cherish those things when you can. We do see some footage throughout the film, um, like some archival footage of the Second World War, and it seems to be stuff from Berlin, you know, things that happened in Berlin during the Second World War. And as we know, there was the Berlin Wall for many decades after the Second World War that separated East and West Germany. The wall recurs throughout the film. You definitely see it. Like there's graffiti on it at times. It had not come down yet when this film was, when it was shot and when it was released. And it's a reminder of the ghosts of the past and the ghosts that haunt Berlin in the present in 1988. And everything that had happened there and in Germany, you know, the trauma that Germans went through 
right, with the war and that Europe went through. And this is a film about a city. It's like a love letter a bit to Berlin. And Wim Wenders in an interview said that he had been away from Germany for a while. He made some English language films. This was like his first German film in a while. And it's a bit of like a love letter to it. And he wanted to go back to it and look at this city. And it's a very symphonic film in that way. It's about the people of this one particular city, right? You know, I'm not German and I'm not going to speak to the the granular issues in Berlin in the 1980s, obviously. I'm sure I may have German people listening to this episode, so I'm not even going to pretend to understand all the intricacies of the Berlin Wall and East and West Germany and the Second World War in Germany, right? I'm not going to pretend to know all of that, but the Berlin Wall is an important part of the film, you know, and it's, it's definitely there. And that, um, archival footage is there and it's like the ghosts that haunt Berlin and the people of Berlin and the people of Germany. The film that Peter Falk has come to star in is a World War II film. It's about the Nazis. So it's, so we have reminders throughout the film of, you know, this very dark past in Germany of fascism and, and the way the Nazis took power and what they did and all of that. So history is very present in that city and in the film as well. At one point, Damiel says, quote, I've been on the outside long enough, absent long enough. I've stood outside the world long enough. I want to enter into the history of the world or even just hold an apple in my hand, unquote. And I think that again speaks to what I feel about Damiel's that he's an outsider and he doesn't want to be an outsider anymore. You know, he wants to experience life. There's a very powerful scene, just like there's the scene of the man dying. There's this very memorable scene of a young man on a rooftop who's about to jump and about to commit suicide. And we hear the thoughts in his head before he's about to do it. And he's sitting on the ledge, really. You know, his feet are dangling. Cassiel is with him. Damiel had been with the man in the accident on the street. Cassiel is with this young man and he leans down and puts his cheek next to his back, the back of the young man, and he's not able to stop this suicide. And the young man says, quote, all these thoughts, I'd rather not think anymore, unquote. And you know, that made me think about how isn't it always our thoughts that torment us the most, sometimes more than other people. It's like we torment ourselves. And I often wish that I could turn my thoughts off, that I could just be free from them for a little while, free from my mind and from my memories and my obsessions. Our minds can torment us. And it's like, how do you get away from all that? Everything that's in your head, you can't. And so it's fascinating that really a lot of the film is about these thoughts in people's heads, what they're thinking. And yeah, a lot of it's really poetic and beautiful, but I think the suicide kind of reminds us like, no, we can have thoughts in our heads that are dangerous, that can push us to suicide, that can push us to the brink and to the limit, and we can't take anymore because our minds are such a mess. Our minds are just churning and churning and churning with all these horrible thoughts. You know, our demons are in there. Our demons, the things that torment us, that haunt us, our ghosts are up there. Our memories, everything is up there in our heads and in our thoughts. And that can be the center of the pain for us is that our bodies could be healthy, but our minds are degraded. Our minds are just overflowing 
with pain. And that's what that young man is experiencing. And he jumps and Cassio can't stop it. And he just screams helplessly because he can't do anything. And Marion, I think, has her final performance with the circus. And the thing about it is that Marion, she is what makes him want to be human. It, it really isn't until he like meets her that he really starts to seriously consider becoming human. He wants to be human with her. He wants to be alive with her. He doesn't just want life. He wants love. There is no life without love. That's what he really wants. And there's this really great scene where Damiel is um, standing near Peter Falk at the hot dog stand. Peter Falk consents him and he starts talking to him and reaches out his hand to him. He's telling Damiel what it's like to be human, how good it is. He's sort of trying to persuade him to become human. He's very bad. He talks about smoking and drinking coffee, about drawing, drawing a picture, rubbing your hands together to make them warm. All these things that seem so small and inconsequential but are really the building blocks and part of our lives and are like these little moments or these little experiences or sensations that can be very beautiful if you notice them and you appreciate them. So after that, shortly after that, Damiel does become human. He wants to be part of history. He wants to be part of the world. And he wants to love, I think. He wants to love and be loved. And the way that we know he's human is first we see his footprints in the dirt. I thought that was really interesting. And then the world transforms into color. And he says that he'll take Marion in his arms and she'll take him in hers and they'll be together. So he leaves the black and white world and now he's in the world of color and now he's human and he's open to all the sensations of life, the whole spectrum of human experience. So color represents like the explosion and profusion of sights, sounds, emotions, and experiences and everything that he'll get to have now. And he's like a child everything is new to him. He's no longer an outsider. Now he is part of the world. He knows what it's like to bleed. He even tastes his own blood. He gets a cup of coffee. He buys clothes. He buys this really colorful coat <laughs> that shocked me. I just don't understand the fashion of the 80s. Like someone please explain it to me. <laughs> but this really really garish coat <laughs> that he buys. Everything's new to him. Everything. And the circus is leaving town. You know, Marion's gonna leave. She's sitting outside and she says, quote, I couldn't say who I am. I don't have the slightest idea. I have no roots, no story, no country. And I like it that way. I'm here. I'm free. I can imagine anything. Everything's possible. I only have to lift my eyes and once again, I become the world. Now on this very spot, a feeling of happiness that I could keep forever, unquote. I love that. It's like she becomes the world and Damiel enters the world. She's such a vivacious woman. You know, she's full of life and she's so deep with her thinking. No wonder he's in love with her. She's beautiful and smart and she feels deeply. She's this very strong, powerful, woman to me. Like, I love her. I love this character. She's just herself. She's so comfortable in her skin. So comfortable with life. She's not anxious. She's not scared. She has a few moments where she cries, but she's so capable. I love that about her. She's brave and brazen. You know, the way she does the the, the stuff on the 
trapeze and all that she just knows who she is I think that's also what I love she knows who she is and she knows what she wants and she isn't afraid and if you're not on board then get out <laughs> and leave her alone I wish I were like that maybe I can try to be more like Marion in my life I gotta do that I love how at one point Daniel's Daniel says of Marion quote she'll teach me everything unquote and it's like love is what teaches us how to be human, how to be alive, how to live. And he knows that she is, she's going to teach him everything. Like he's gonna learn from her. I love that. It's almost like a reversal, a little bit of power or like those gender roles. Cause usually it's like the man telling the woman or teaching the woman and she's learning from him, right? And I love how he's open to learning from her. She has the wisdom. She has the knowledge of how to be human, of what it means to be alive and he's gonna learn from her and he wants to learn from her. I really like that. I hadn't even thought about it until now. Damiel goes to this concert where Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds are playing and Marion is also at that same concert and that's the concert where their paths are gonna finally intersect and cross as human beings. Now of course earlier in the film he he had seen her and watched her but she didn't know he was there and it was a very passive voyeuristic experience right now they're both human and they're both gonna meet each other so I wanted to linger a bit on Nick Cave for a moment I'll try not to like go on forever about Nick Cave but I got stuff to say about this man so Nick Cave is performing a song called From Her to Eternity just recently the woman who wrote that song Anita Lane died and Nick Cave wrote this very powerful tribute to her and I'll get to that in a moment but first I want to talk about just the importance of Nick Cave to me. So during the pandemic I've gotten really into music. I've always loved music. I always obsessively listen to music. It's always been a big comfort to me along with books and films but a big big comfort and solace to me has been music and I've gotten into all kinds of people that I had previously not really listened to and those would include like Joanna Newsome who I really adore and PJ Harvey who I've gotten really into. Portishead. I went through a period where I was obsessed with Portishead. Recently I got really into Vashti Bunyan because I just love her voice. I've gone back to Jason Molina. I already loved Jason Molina deeply but I've been listening to listening to more of his work. Elliot Smith. I got back into Elliot Smith and really did a deep dive through his albums. My favorite is Roman Candle, if anybody's curious. So all these different people I was getting really into and someone I got into was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. But Nick Cave in particular and his life, his writing, I don't know all of his albums. I only know really Skeleton Tree and I got really, really obsessed with Skeleton Tree and that album was born out of the death of his teenage son in 2015. He had written some of the songs before his son's death, but then other songs came after his son's death. And that was a devastating experience for Nick Cave. And there was also a documentary that was made about the recording and creation of Skeleton Tree called One More Time with Feeling. And I highly recommend it. I recommend that album and I recommend the documentary together. They go well together where Nick Cave talks a bit about the loss and talks 
about the grief and he also performs some of the songs and it's just a very moving documentary that was very powerful and his writings about grief have really helped me and been a big comfort to me. I can't explain it. I can't put into words what his writings about grief mean to me because I've been through a lot of loss in my life. As I mentioned, the death of my father, but I also, I lost a lot of people within a short period of time. My father died, my grandmother died, and then my uncle died within three years when I was a teenager. And it was just really destabilizing and difficult and painful and traumatizing. And it has shaped me. It's made me who I am going through that experience and losing so much. So I have an intimate relationship with grief, unfortunately. It's something that haunts my life. And so his writings about it have just always been very powerful. He has a newsletter called The Red Hand Files. Occasionally people have asked him questions about loss and he has responded. These letters can be really funny at times and then they can be heartbreaking. So a woman named Cynthia asked him a question. She asked him, I have experienced the death of my father, my sister, and my first love in the past few years and feel that I have some communication with them, mostly through dreams. They are helping me. Are you and Susie feeling that your son Arthur is with you and communicating in some way? And so Nick Cave responded to this question from Cynthia and he said, quote, This is a very beautiful question and I am grateful that you have asked it. It seems to me that if we love, we grieve. That's the deal. That's the pact. Grief and love are forever intertwined. Grief is the terrible reminder of the depths of our love and like love, grief is non-negotiable. There is a vastness to grief that overwhelms our minuscule selves We are tiny, trembling clusters of atoms subsumed within grief's awesome presence. It occupies the core of our being and extends through our fingers to the limits of the universe. Within that whirling gyre, all manner of madnesses exist. Ghosts and spirits and dream visitations and everything else that we, in our anguish, will into existence. These are precious gifts that are as valid and as real as we need them to be. They are the spirit guides that lead us out of the darkness. I feel the presence of my son all around, but he may not be there. I hear him talk to me, parent me, guide me, though he may not be there. He visits Susie in her sleep regularly, speaks to her, comforts her, but he may not be there. Dread grief trails bright phantoms in its wake. These spirits are ideas, essentially. They are our stunned imaginations reawakening after the calamity. Like ideas, these spirits speak of possibility. Follow your ideas because on the other side of the idea is change and growth and redemption. Create your spirits, call to them, will them alive, speak to them. It is their impossible and ghostly hands that draw us back to the world from which we were jettisoned, better now and unimaginably changed. Like, I can't deal with that. If we love, we grieve. What's so painful about being human? And this is what Damiel does not yet know. But the most painful part of being human is losing what we love. Losing who we love. So while there is beauty to this life, and there's all the beautiful things that Damiel gets to have, he may lose that. He could lose Marion. But he's willing to take the chance of losing her in order to have her and to love her. 
her. And I think what's important when we lose and when we grieve is that we remember the love and we remember what we had and that we try to be grateful that we ever did have it and that we ever knew that person. I only got 16 years with my dad. That's it. 16 years. Some people get a lot more. Most people get a lot more than I did. I only had him for half my life right now. Half my life. That's it. That's all I got. But those 16 years were rich and beautiful. I knew love. My father loved me unconditionally, fully. He taught me how to love. The people who love us teach us how to love. My mother has taught me how to love by giving me love. And so Damiel will learn to love through the love that Marion gives to him. And when he becomes human, he is opening himself to the world, but he's also opening himself up to death and to the knowledge of death and the pain of death. But to him, it's worth it in order to love and to be loved. And isn't that powerful? So Nick Cave means a lot to me. As I was watching the film and we come to this final scene where he's performing From Her to Eternity, Anita Lane died. And she had written several songs for Nick Cave in The Bad Seeds. She also has some solo albums that I've been listening to and that I really like. They have a haunting quality. And her her songwriting is very powerful and very haunting in general. Nick Cave then wrote this about Anita Lane. He wrote, quote, You think you know grief. You think you've worked out its mechanics. You think you've become grief savvy, stronger, wiser, more resilient. You think that there's nothing more that can hurt you in this world. And then Anita dies, unquote. And he talks about her and he talks about how much he loved her and the songs that she wrote. He ends the letter with this quote, how could something so luminous carry so much darkness? Drink gin out of a baby's bottle despised the concept of the muse but was everybody's, spoke in a child's voice and was my best friend. Two months ago, speaking to her on the phone, she seemed a million miles away, loved her children more than anything. They were her pride and joy. It was both easy and terrifying to love her. Leaves a big crying space, unquote. A big crying space. He loved her. You can tell he loved her and that he grieves her. And when you choose to love, you're also inviting grief into your life. Because as soon as you care about somebody and you love somebody, the possibility arises that you could lose them and that you may have to grieve them. And that's terrifying and frightening and painful. But like he said, if we love, we grieve. And it's like grief is almost the price of love. It's the price of loving. And we have to continue to love. We must. And so Nick Cave's music has been really important to me and his writings on grief have been important to me. And I just wanted to take some time to acknowledge that and talk about it. (laughs) It's my podcast and I'll talk about what I want. (laughs) And I wanted to go on a tangent about Nick Cave, but go and find his newsletter and read it and cherish his writing. Listen to his music, listen to Skeleton Tree, watch One More Time with Feeling, do it. Because it was powerful for me and it was really moving for me to do all of that. So Damiel and Marion meet at this concert. They're both at the bar and they have finally found each other. This is like the big scene in the film. To me, there's the implication that they are soulmates. They're absolutely soulmates. He gives up everything for her. He gives up eternity. (laughs) He gives up 
never dying, right? He could have eternal life and never worry about death and be an angel and all this. And he gives up all of it to be with her, all of it. And she says to him, and it's like this very powerful scene where they're staring at each other. She says, quote, at last it's becoming serious, unquote. And I love that. I love how she talks about love as something that's serious. And her, her monologue here is just amazing. I'm going to read it out. Quote, I don't know if there's such a thing as destiny, but there is such a thing as deciding. You and I are now time itself. Not only the whole city, the whole world is taking part right now in our decision. We're more than just the two of us now. We embody something. We are sitting in the people's square and the whole place is full of people with the same dream as ours. We're defining the game for everybody. I'm ready. Now it's your turn. You hold the game in your hand. It's now or never. You need me. You will need me. There is no greater story than ours, that of man and woman. It will be a story of giants, invisible, transferable, a story of new ancestors. Last night I dreamed of a stranger, my man. Only with him could I be lonesome, open up to him, wholly open, holy for him, welcome him wholly into me, surround him with the labyrinth of shared bliss. I know it's you, unquote. She's telling him to take the chance to choose love. It's a choice that we make to love another person fully and unconditionally. It's a choice that you have to make. And she's telling him to take it and to make that choice. And then they kiss. And for me, this is such a deeply romantic film. It might be one of the most romantic films I've ever seen, particularly the ending. I am a romantic. I am like a really romantic person. Maybe I do believe in a soulmate. Maybe I do believe in a spiritual love. I don't know, but I think I do. <laughs> I do. I, be I believe in serious love. I believe in deep love. I believe that Maybe there is somebody out there. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever find him because <laughs> I'm too terrified of rejection and I just can't deal with men because they just confuse me and make no sense to me most of the time. So I don't know if I'll ever find him, but I maybe believe he could be out there. I don't know. But this is like a love that moves heaven and earth. The love that poetry is written about. The love we all dream about. It's like cosmic, undeniable, eternal. In an interview, Vim Vender said that he was inspired by the work of Renee Maria Rilke, who is an amazing writer, very important to me. Rilke was um, an Austrian poet and writer, and he had a big impact on me when I was younger. When I was like a teenager, I read Letters to a Young Poet. That book was so important to me, like I'm a writer, and I've written since I was a teenager, and writing has always been important to me. Books and literature have always been important to me. Letters to a young poet, I think for a lot of writers, is a seminal book. It's just a powerful book for me. And just recently, this year in 2021, I reread Letters to a Young Poet and it still moved me and I still found it to be so powerful. And what I love about Rilke, particularly in Letters to a Young Poet, he has some sections and I'm going to share some quotes, but he has sections where he talks about love. And I think to Rilke, love is something very serious, just like Marion was saying. Now things are getting serious. And I think love is something serious. I think it's something we 
we should we should work for, that we should prepare ourselves for, that we should try to become the best selves we can be in order to love another person. I don't think we should take it lightly. I don't think we should take love lightly. We shouldn't take loving another person lightly. It's a very serious thing. And I think this film is making a statement about love and its necessity in our lives. We need connection. We need to love and be loved. People die every day from a lack of love, from a lack of connection. Love is life and death. I absolutely believe that. It is serious and it's life-saving. Absolutely. And Rilke says this in Letters to a Young Poet, quote, To love is also good, for love is difficult. For one human being to love another is perhaps the most difficult task of all, the epitome, the ultimate test. It is that striving for which all other striving is merely preparation, unquote. And then another, at another point in the book, he says, quote, love is a high inducement for individuals to ripen, to strive to mature in the inner self, to manifest maturity in the outer world, to become that manifestation for the sake of another. This is a great demanding task. It calls one to expand one's horizon greatly. Unquote. Love should challenge us a bit. Love should be difficult because it makes demands on us. You have to be there for another person. You have to open yourself up to another person. You have to be honest and vulnerable. You do have to make sacrifices at times. You can't just say it. You have to show it. So a little bit of time passes. I think it's like the next day, possibly. And Marion is rehearsing her trapeze performance on a rope. And he's holding the base of the rope for her. He's there supporting her. And that's something that I love about this scene. Is that I love seeing a man supporting a woman in her artistic endeavor. Which is... Uh, being a trapeze artist, that's artistic. That takes like so much artistry and also athleticism. And he is supporting her. He's learning from her. She's teaching him how to love and how to be a human being. I love that. And I love what Damiel says at the end. He says, quote, something happened. It's still going on. It binds me. It was true in the night and it's true now during the day. Even more so. Who was who? I was inside her and she was all around me. Who in the world can claim that he was ever truly together with another human being? I am together. No mortal child was conceived. Only an immortal shared image. I learned to be amazed last night. She came to take me home and I found home. It happened once once upon a time, and so it will be. The image that we created will be with me when I die. I will have lived within it. Only my amazement at the two of us, my amazement at man and woman, has turned me into a human being. I know now what no angel knows, unquote. Loving her is what makes him human, and being loved by her is what makes him human. Being able to give love to another is what defines our humanity. That's why this film is so powerful, is that in a way it's a love letter to love. It's saying that this matters. This is worth living for. This is worth sacrificing for. This is worth giving up everything for in order to love another person and to share your life with them. And I think that's gorgeous and beautiful and like, yes, please. (laughs) Can I have that? I don't know if I ever will. I don't know. I also think there are different kinds of love. I don't think romantic love should be the be all end all. And I think too too often we center it too much. I mean, I have platonic love in my life. I have love 
for friends and friends who love me. And that's been life-saving. You can have deep connections with people beyond romance. But at the same time, many of us naturally have desires and we want to be in love and you know I want to be loved by a man I want I want to love a man and I want him to love me unconditionally and truly and fully I want us to be there for each other yeah I do want the big romantic intoxicating beautiful love the soulmate love the Marion and Damiel love yeah I would like that but even if it never happens I have known love in other ways I knew love for my father and mother and they loved me. I know love for my friends and they've loved me. Love can come in different forms. It can. And that's the thing about Marion is that she wasn't going to settle. She could be alone, a woman gloriously alone, right? She could do that. But she happened to meet Damiel. She happened to meet him, her soulmate, the man she dreamed of. And he did appear in her dream like the night before they met, I think. So it just so happens that she did meet him, but she wasn't looking necessarily. She wasn't going to fall apart if she never did meet him or something. He just happened to show up and, and he's there and they have this beautiful love. They choose to love each other. And I think that's very powerful. And I just love the idea that he He's learning from her. She's teaching him. He's supporting her, you know, holding the bottom of that rope. It's like a relationship of equals. They're like on equal footing. It's not about dominating her or controlling her. It's about loving and accepting her for who she is. Learning from her and all of that. I love it. I just love, I love this love story in this film for sure. And when he talked about home, when he talked about home, she came to take me home and I found home. I thought of one of my favorite love songs of all time. I love this song so much. And it's by the Talking Heads and it's called This Must Be the Place. And there's also a gorgeous cover of it by Iron and Wine that I was obsessed with last year. I think I had it on repeat forever. This is absolutely one of my favorite love songs. <laughs> I adore this song so much. And I think the lyrics of this song perfectly fit this film. And I think it's the perfect way to end this episode. And I want to read some of them. So I will read This Must Be the Place. Home is where I want to be, but I guess I'm already there. I come home. She lifted up her wings. I guess that this must be the place. I can't tell one from another. Did I find you or you find me? There was a time before we were born. If someone asks, this is where I'll be, where I'll be. We drift in and out, sing into my mouth. Out of all those kinds of people, you got a face with a view. I'm just an animal looking for a home and share the same space for a minute or two. And you love me till my heart stops. Love me till I'm dead. That's love. That's my idea of love. <laughs> and even the mention of the wing, I thought was fascinating. She lifted up her wing. We have the angels and the wings in the film. I just thought it was kind of interesting. The connection that I feel like the song has to the film. Talking about home and like being with another person is a kind of home. I love that. I love that metaphor. So that's everything that I have to say. I think this is a film that could save a life. And I think at the end of the day, it's one of the most poetic and life-affirming films that I've ever seen. And I've said everything that I want to say about it. And I appreciate you listening.
I'd like to give a big shout out to my wonderful patrons, Ellie, Travis, Pierce, Amir, Christine, Jenny, Lane, Haroon, Thomas, Kelsey, Aaron, Tyler, Juan, Teal, JD, Vanessa, Polina, Olivia, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, and Michelle. Thank you so much for being patrons. You make the podcast possible. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.